Volume One, Book Five, Chapters Thirteen to Twenty Four of the Life of Apollonius of Tyana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Apollonius of Tyana by Flavius Philostratus, translated by F. C. Conybeare volume one book five chapters thirteen to twenty four chapter thirteen now when they reached syracuse a woman of a leading family was brought to bed of such a monster as never any woman has delivered of before for her child had three heads and each head had a neck of its own but below them there was a single body of the vulgar and stupid interpretations of this prodigy one was that it signified the impending ruin of sicily for it has three headlands unless the inhabitants composed their feuds and could live together in peace for as a matter of fact several of the cities were at variance both with themselves and with one another and such a thing as orderly life was unknown in the island another explanation was that typho a many-headed monster was threatening sicily with his violence but apollonius said go o damis and look if the child is really made up as they say for the thing was exposed to public view for the miracle-mongers to exercise their ingenuity upon it when damis reported that it was a three-headed creature and of the male sex apollonius got together his companions and said it signifies three emperors of rome whom yesterday i called thebans and not one of them shall enjoy complete dominion but two of them shall perish after holding sway in rome itself and the third after doing so in the countries bordering upon rome and they shall shuffle off their masks more quickly than if they were tragic actors playing the part of tyrant and the truth of his statement was almost immediately revealed for galba died in rome itself just after he grasped the crown and vitellius died after only dreaming of the crown and otho died in western galatia and was not even accorded a public funeral but lies buried like any private person and the whole episode was passed and over within a single year chapter fourteen next they came to catana where is mount etna and they say that they heard from the inhabitants of the city a story about typho being bound on the spot and about fire rising from him and this fire sends up the smoke of etna but they themselves came to more plausible conclusions and more in keeping with philosophy and they say that apollonius began the discussion by asking his companions is there such a thing as mythology yes by zeus said menippus and i mean by it that which furnishes poets with their themes what then do you think of aesop he is a mythologist and writer of fables and no more and which set of myths show any talent those of the poets he answered because they are represented in the poems as having taken place and what then do you think of the stories of aesop frogs he answered and donkeys and nonsense only fit to be swallowed by old women and children and yet for my part said apollonius i find them more conducive to wisdom than the others 
for those others of which all poetry is so fond and which deal with heroes positively destroy the souls of their hearers because the poet relates stories of outlandish passion and of incestuous marriages and repeats calumnies against the gods of how they ate their own children and committed crimes of meanness and quarrelled with one another and the affectation and the pretense of reality leads passionate and jealous people and miser-like and ambitious persons to imitate the stories aesop on the other hand had in the first place the wisdom never to identify himself with those who put such stories into verse but took a line of his own and in the second like those who can dine well of the plainest dishes he made use of humble incidents to teach great truths and after telling a story he adds to it the advice to do a thing or not to do it then too he was really more attached to truth than the poets are for the latter do violence to their own stories in order to make them probable but he by announcing a story which every one knows not to be true told the truth by the very fact that he did not claim to be relating real events and the poet after telling his story leaves a healthy-minded reader cudgeling his brains to know whether it really happened whereas one who like aesop tells a story which is false and does not pretend to be anything else merely investing it with a good moral shows that he has made use of the falsehood merely for its utility to his audience and there is another charm about him namely that he puts animals in a pleasing light and makes them interesting to mankind for after being brought up from childhood with these stories and after being as it were nursed by them from babyhood we acquire certain opinions of the several animals and think of some of them as royal animals or others as silly or others as witty or others as innocent and whereas the poet after telling us that there are many forms of heavenly visitation or something of the kind dismisses his chorus and departs aesop adds an oracle to his story and dismisses his hearers just as they reach the conclusion he wished to lead them to chapter fifteen and as for myself womenippus my mother taught me a story about the wisdom of aesop when i was a mere child and told me that he was once a shepherd and was tending his flocks hard by a temple of hermes and that he was a passionate lover of wisdom and prayed to hermes that he might receive it many other people she said also resorted to the temple of hermes asking for the same gift and one of them would hang on the altar gold another silver another a herald's wand of ivory and others other rich presents of the kind now aesop she said was not in a position to own any of these things but he saved up what he had and poured a libation of as much milk as a sheep would give at one milking in honor of hermes and brought a honeycomb and laid it on the altar big enough to fill the hand and he thought of regaling the god with myrtle berries or perhaps by laying just a few roses or violets at the altar for said he would you o hermes have me weave crowns for you and neglect my sheep now when on the appointed day they arrived for the distribution of the gifts of wisdom hermes as the god of wisdom and eloquence and also of rewards said to him who as you may well suppose had made the biggest offering here is philosophy for you and to him who had made the next handsomest present he said do you take your place among the orators and to others he said 
you shall have the gift of astronomy or you shall be a musician or you shall be an epic poet and write an heroic meter or you shall be a writer of iambics now although he was a most wise and accomplished god he exhausted not meaning to do so all the various departments of wisdom and then found that he had quite forgotten aesop thereupon he remembered the hours by whom he himself had been nurtured on the peaks of olympus and bethought him of how once when he was still in swaddling clothes they had told him a story about the cow which had a conversation with the man about herself and about the earth and so set him aflame about the cows of apollo accordingly he forthwith bestowed upon aesop the art of fable called mythology for that was all that was left in the house of wisdom and said do you keep what was the first thing i learnt myself aesop then acquired the various forms of his art from that source and the issue was such as we see in the matter of mythology chapter sixteen perhaps i have done a foolish thing went on apollonius for it was my intention to recall you to more scientific and truer explanations than the poetical myths given by the vulgar of etna and i have let myself be drawn into a eulogy of myths however the digression has not been without a charm of its own for the myth which we repudiate is not one of aesop's stories but belongs to the class of dramatic stories which fill the mouths of our poets for they say that a certain typho or enceladus lies bound under the mountain and in his death agony breathes out this fire that we see now i admit that giants have existed and that gigantic bodies are revealed all over earth when tombs are broken open nevertheless i deny that they ever come into conflict with the gods at the most they violated their temples and statues and to suppose that they scaled the heaven and chased away the gods therefrom this it is madness to relate and madness to believe nor can i any more respect that other story though it is more reverent in its tone to the effect that hephaestus attends to his forge in etna and that there is there an anvil on which he smites with his hammer for there are many other mountains all over the earth that are on fire and yet we should never be so rash as to assign to them giants and gods like hephaestus chapter seventeen what then is the explanation of such mountains it is this the earth by affording a mixture of asphalt and pitch begins to smoke of its own nature but it does not yet belch out fire if however it be cavernous and hollow and there be a spirit or force circulating underneath it it at once sends up into the air as it were a torch this flame gathers force and gets hold of all around and then like water it streams off the mountains and flows out into the plains and the mass of fire reaches the sea forming mouths out of which it issues like the mouths of rivers and as for the place of the pious ones around whom the fire flowed we will allow that such exists even here but at the same time let us not forget that the whole earth affords secure ground for the doers of holiness and that the sea is safely traversed not only by people in ships but even by people attempting to swim for in this way he continually ended up his discourses with useful and pious exhortation chapter eighteen 
he stayed in sicily and taught philosophy there as long as he had sufficient interest in doing so and then repaired to greece about the rising of arcturus after a pleasant sail he arrived at lucas where he said let us get out of this ship for it is better not to continue in it our voyage to achaia no one took any notice of the utterance except those who knew the sage well but he himself together with those who desired to make the voyage with him embarked on a leucadian ship and reached the port of lycaon meanwhile the syracusan ship sank as it entered the chrysaean gulf chapter nineteen at athens he was initiated and by the same hierophant of whom he had delivered a prophecy to his predecessor here he met demetrius the philosopher for after the episode of nero's bath and of his speech about it demetrius continued to live at athens with such noble courage that he did not quit greece even during the period when nero was outraging greece over the games demetrius said that he had fallen in with musonius at the isthmus where he was fettered and under orders to dig he consoled him as best he could with better hopes for the future but musonius took his spade and stoutly dug it into the earth and then looking up said you are distressed demetrius to see me digging through the isthmus for greece but if you saw me playing the harp like nero what would you feel then but i must pass over the fortunes of musonius though they were many and remarkable else i shall seem impertinent like one who has carelessly repeated them chapter twenty apollonius spent the winter in various hellenic temples and towards spring he embarked on the road for egypt after administering many rebukes indeed yet giving much good counsel to the cities many of which won his approval for he never refused praise when anything was done in a right and sensible way when he descended to the piraeus he found a ship riding there with its sail set just about to start for ionia but the owner would not allow him to embark for he wished to go on a private cruise apollonius asked him what his freight consisted of of gods he replied whose images i am exporting to ionia some made of gold and stone and others of ivory and gold and are you going to dedicate them or what i am going to sell them he replied to those who desire to dedicate them then you are afraid my most excellent man lest we should steal your images on board the ship i am not afraid of that he answered but i do not think it proper that they should have to share the voyage with so many people and be defiled by such bad company as you get on board ship and may i remind you most worthy man answered apollonius for you appear to me to be an athenian that on ships which your countrymen employed against the barbarians although they were full of a disorderly naval crowd the gods embarked along with them yet had no suspicion of being polluted thereby you however in your gross ignorance drive men who are lovers of wisdom out of your ship in whose company as in that of none others the gods delight and this although you are trafficking in the gods but the image-makers of old behaved not in this way nor did they go round the cities selling their gods all they did was to export their own hands and their tools for working stone and ivory and they provided the raw materials and plied their handicraft in the temples themselves 
but you are leading the gods into harbors and market-places just as if they were wares of the hyrcanians or the scythians far be it from me to name these and do you think you are doing no impiety it is true there are babbling buffoons who hang upon their persons images of demeter and dionysus and pretend that they are nurtured by the gods they carry but as for feeding on the gods themselves as you do without ever being surfeited on this diet that is a horrible commerce and one i should say savouring of unmanliness even if you have no misgivings of your own about the consequences having administered this rebuke he took his passage on another ship chapter twenty one and when he had sailed as far as chios without even setting foot on the shore he leapt across into another ship hard by which was advertised to go to rhodes and without a word his companions jumped after him for it was an essential part of their philosophic discipline to imitate his every word and action with a favorable wind he made the passage and held the following conversation in rhodes as he approached the image of the colossus Damis asked him if he thought anything could be greater than that, and he replied, Yes, a man who loves wisdom in a sound and innocent spirit. At that time, Canus was living in Rhodes, who was esteemed to be the best of all flute players of his age. He therefore called him and said, What is the business of a flute player? To do, replied the other, everything which his audience wants him to well but many replied apollonius many in the audience want to be rich rather than to hear a flute played i gather then that when you find them desiring this namely to be rich you turn them into rich men not at all replied the other although i would like to do so well then perhaps you make the young people in your audience good-looking for all who are still enjoying youth wish to be handsome nor that either replied the other although i can play many an air of aphrodite on my instrument what then is it said apollonius which you think your audience want why what else replied canus except that the mourner may have his sorrow lulled to sleep by the flute and that they that rejoice may have their cheerfulness enhanced and the lover may wax warmer in his passion and the lover of sacrifice may become more inspired and full of sacred song. This, then, he said, O Canis, would you allow to be the effect of the flute itself, because it is constructed of gold or brass, and of the shin of a stag, or perhaps the shin of a donkey, or is it something else which has these effects? It is something else, he replied. O oh, Apollonius, for the music and the airs and the blending of strains and the easy variations of the flute and the characters of the harmonies, it is all this that composes the souls of listeners and brings them to such a state of contentment as they want. I understand, he replied, O oh, Canis, what is it that your art performs? For you cultivate and exhibit to those who come to hear you the changefulness of your music and the variety of its modes, but as for myself i think that your flute wants other resources in addition to those you have mentioned namely plenty of breath and a right use of the lips and manual skill on the part of the player and facility of breath consists in its being clear and distinct unmarred by any husky click in the throat for that would rob the sound of its musical character and facility with the lips consists in their taking in the reed of the flute and playing without blowing out the cheeks 
and manual skill i consider very important for the wrist must not weary from being bent nor must the fingers be slow in fluttering over the notes and manual skill is especially shown in the swift transition from mode to mode if then you have all these facilities you may play with confidence o canis for the muse euterpe will be with you chapter twenty two it happened also that a young man was building a house in rhodes who was a nouveau riche without any education and he collected in his house rare pictures and gems from different countries apollonius then asked him how much money he had spent upon teachers and on education not a farthing he replied and how much upon your house twelve talents he replied and i mean to spend as much again upon it and what said the other is the good of your house to you why is it residence it is splendidly suited to my bodily needs for there are colonnades in it and groves and i shall seldom need to walk out into the market-place but people will come in and talk to me with all the more pleasure just as they were visiting a temple and said apollonius are men to be valued more for themselves or for their belongings for their wealth said the other for wealth has the most influence and said apollonius my good youth which is the best able to keep his money an educated person or an uneducated and as the other made no answer he added my good boy it seems to me that it is not you that owns the house but the house that owns you as for myself i would far rather enter a temple no matter how small and behold in it a statue of ivory and gold than behold one of pottery and bad workmanship in a vastly larger one chapter twenty three and meeting a young man who was young and fat and who prided himself upon eating more than anybody else and on drinking more wine than others he remarked then you it seems are the glutton yes and i sacrifice to the gods out of gratitude for the same and what pleasure said apollonius do you get by gorging yourself in this way why every one admires me and stares at me for you have probably heard of hercules how people took as much pains to celebrate what he ate as what labors he performed yes for he was hercules said apollonius but as for you you scum what good points are there about you there's nothing left for you but to burst if you want to be stared at chapter twenty four such were his experiences in rhodes and others ensued in alexandria so soon as his voyage ended there even before he arrived alexandria was in love with him and its inhabitants longed to see apollonius as one friend longs for another and as the people of upper egypt are intensely religious they too prayed him to visit their several societies for owing to the fact that so many come hither and mix with us from egypt while an equal number pass hence to visit egypt apollonius was already celebrated among them and the ears of the egyptians were literally pricked up to hear him it is no exaggeration to say that as he advanced from the ship into the city they gazed upon him as if he was a god and made way for him in the alleys as they would for priests carrying the sacraments 
as he was being thus escorted with more pomp than if he had been a governor of the country he met twelve men who were being led to execution on the charge of being bandits he looked at them and said they are not all guilty for this one and he gave his name has been falsely accused or he would not be going with you and to the executioners by whom they were being led he said i order you to relax your pace and bring them to the ditch a little more leisurely and to put this one to death last of all for he is guiltless of the charge but you would anyhow act with more piety if you spared them for a brief portion of the day since it were better not to slay them at all and withal he dwelt upon this theme at what was for him unusual length and the reason for his doing so was immediately shown for when eight of them had had their heads cut off a man on horseback rode up to the ditch and shouted spare pliarian for he added he is no robber but he gave false witness against himself from fear of being racked and others of them in their examination under torture have acknowledged that he is guiltless i need not describe the exultation of egypt nor how the people who were anyhow ready to admire him applauded him for this action end of chapters thirteen to twenty four of volume one book five the life of apollonius of tyana read by mary schneider